Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast with your hosts, Amy Babinchak, James Kernan, and Carl Polichuk. Produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. PC Medic, endpoint security built on a zero-trust, default-deny foundation. Finally, a lightweight, simple-to-deploy, and easy-to-manage approach to application allow listing. The perfect complement to your current security stack. No minimums and no annual contracts. Find out more about PCMatic by visiting pcmatic.com slash MSP today. All right. Welcome back. This is James Curtin with Curtin Consulting, and we've got a very, very special guest, a good friend of mine and well-respected industry professional and, and veteran, uh, Hartland Ross. Hey, Hartland, how are you doing today? I'm good, James. Uh, uh, as always, uh, wonderful to uh, to chat with you and to uh, to be on the, the podcast today with you is uh, much appreciated. And uh, thanks for inviting me. And um, yeah, nice to uh, catch up again. Yeah. Yeah. As you could tell through uh, Heartland's uh, really cool uh, accent that uh, he's not from the Midwest like me. So uh, he's got a little bit of that Canadian uh, twist in there, but uh, obviously does a lot of lot of work throughout the states and, and North America. But anyway, so good to have you back. This is your second time on the program. So we're blessed to have you. Uh, Heartland, a little, we'll go into a little bit of his background, but he's got two different companies under one umbrella. So eBridge Marketing Solutions is his organization. Uh, they kind of started as a, a marketing organization for the tech business. It, we'll talk about that. But the second side of the business under that umbrella that operates separately is uh, an M&A firm called The Host Broker. And there's a ton of M&A activity. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. So, um, all right. So I'm going to hand things back to you, Hartland. Thanks for being back on. Tell me a little bit more. Let's go back in time a little bit of how you kind of got involved uh, when you started eBridge and how you got involved in the industry. Yeah, so we started uh, over 20 years ago, and we started working with, uh, we kind of cut our teeth in, in the hosting industry, and, and uh, one of the reasons why we've, uh, the site's thehostbroker.com, um, uh, and uh, now we, we work with far more than just hosting companies, but back uh, when we first started, it was uh, really hosting uh, for, from a perspective of working with small businesses, um, mm -hmm. shared hosting, and then moved sort of up the stack uh, through uh, managed hosting, managed infrastructure, uh, data center operators, uh, and then through to channel partners uh, to the space, which included MSPs, as well, uh, some MSPs operate their own uh, data center and or managed infrastructure. And so uh, it, it's sort of a natural um, progression. And, and so we started 20 years ago as a marketing firm. We were growing these companies. And uh, as we started to do that, we found that some of them uh, were um, complaining, if you like, to us as a marketing firm that costs were, were going up, uh, their uh, cost per acquisition uh, were, were reaching numbers that were not sustainable. 
And this was in part because uh, prices were being driven up on, on Google and other uh, platforms and environments. And yeah. uh, so they wanted some other options. How, can, how else can we grow other than um, you know, organically? Uh, also, the other issue is speed. Uh, growing organically is not the fastest. You're onboarding a client at a time. And for groups that wanted to grow more quickly, uh, it was a lot easier to say, well, what if we just bought somebody else and we, uh, we um, um, transplanted, uh, you know, in the case of hosting, depending on the type, it could be hundreds of thousands of customers. In the case of uh, MSPs, it could be, you know, 50, 100, 200 customers. How could we do that? And, and, and uh, you know, how are we going to reach these people? And so the, the, at the same time, though, as they were having those conversations with us, um, we were having uh, conversations with groups that were um, having the other experience, which is, well, I'm burnt out. Um, I'm uh, tired of uh, this 24 by seven business. I haven't had a holiday in 10 years uh, mm -hmm. and, and, or I want to do something else or I've got another business or another idea. Um, do, is there anybody who would be interested in buying my business? And so we put those yeah. two groups together and we built out our, our M&A practice. And so it was a sort of a natural um, uh, evolution uh, of the marketing business and all the contacts and businesses that we um, were familiar with and the conferences that we would attend and, and exhibit at and speak at uh, to have these these conversations. And so uh, M&A now is um, you know, sort of uh, timely because uh, hosting went through this um, considerable um, consolidation and it's still uh, an ongoing process, but there've been a tremendous uh, number of transactions there. It was a very fragmented space. And we saw that same thing uh, um, that we expected would occur in the MSP space and is occurring in the MSP space, which is this, uh, again, very fragmented space, lots of small players and uh, lots of reasons why there's going to be uh, consolidation. And so you know, we, we've seen that uh, if, if we uh, you know, fast forward to today, which is uh, many years later. Interesting, interesting. So let me unpack that a little bit. So big, big picture, have you, you're in Vancouver, right? You're headquartered. So we're, so we're in Vancouver, and so you're right. I I uh, impressed that people pick up on an accent that I think, of course, I don't have. Uh, but <laughs> in any event, um, yes, uh, most of the businesses that we speak with, work with, uh, buyers, sellers are in the United States, um, yep. eighty uh, percent or so, and and then there's some in Canada, obviously, and in the hosting and infrastructure space, we actually work globally. But in MSPs, it's really a North American play. Yeah, and, and we have a lot in common and just hearing you kind of speak of the evolution over the last 20 years, you know, there's really two ways to grow your business, right? Yeah. Number one, organically, you know, train up the team that you have, make them better, uh, hire additional, you know, reps and engineers and, and grow organically or growth by acquisition. So, uh, you know, my consulting practice, I run into that a lot as well. Uh, clients I've worked with for years and years, it was always you know, growth by acquisition. And now some of them I've worked with for, you know, five, 10, 15 plus years, they're like uh, wanting to to sell the business now. So it's kind of changing a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I'm excited to talk with you about kind of what you are seeing in the uh, in the industry and in, in trends, you know, from an M&A uh, standpoint. So before I, I dive into that, I did want to dabble a little bit. Obviously, 20 years have really morphed and, and changed the way people market their business. If you were to kind of talk maybe at a high level, uh, what types of things are you seeing working well kind of in this post-COVID uh, timeframe? Well, 
so it was punctuated by COVID, which changed everything because the in-person um, uh, options disappeared, right? Whether they were yeah. conferences or uh, sales presentations or lunch and learns or um, client appreciation dinners and, uh, you know, uh, golf tournaments and all these types of things. Uh, yep. were no longer options. So that was that was a you know an interesting uh, period there. Um, you know, I, I mean, I guess overall, the 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 market has um, is is competitive. It is it's always been competitive. I would say it's become more competitive. Uh, prices have been driven up for for acquisition costs. So everybody's always trying to look for for what's different, what's new. Ironically, what's new is old in some cases. In, in yep. terms of like going back to um, offline methods, what you know, the lunch and learns has uh, actually been quite a good um, thing for a lot of groups that they've put on uh, and, and client appreciation uh, events and that type of thing. Um, there's we're uh, looking at doing um, well. We we do, but we we look heavily at uh, doing outreach to to clients via uh, or prospects rather to, uh, via email. Um, yeah. Less so with Google because the, the uh, costs uh, for acquisition are so high. Um, we used to do a lot of, um, of advertising um, through uh, banners, display ads, um, you know, that type of thing. And, yeah. and those, those were productive at one time, but uh, they haven't been for, for IT for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, indirectly what I'm hearing you say and what I'm seeing is that, you know, one, you need a plan, but you need a diverse plan. You can't just rely on cold calling or you just can't rely on just sending emails and expecting to get great results. Um, and we learned a lot through COVID, I think, that uh, you know we had to force ourselves to go more online, get creative. And, um, you know, but I, I like the idea of kind of diverse marketing uh, to, uh, you know, pinpoint down in the different geographies and the different markets that all the listeners are in. Uh, but, you know, I think it's important to keep, uh, keep, get a plan and keep track of what you're doing. Uh, so you see what works and what doesn't. But um, anyway, that's, that's interesting. I wanted to just kind of bring that up real quick and how that kind of flows, I guess, into the, the host broker, your, your M&A business. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, what, um, what would a normal transaction look like or, or a normal engagement look like for you? Could you walk people through what that process would be? Yeah. I, um, would you be uh, coming from this from the perspective of a buyer or a seller? Yeah. So great, great question. Let's let's kind of talk about maybe a, a buyer. You know, somebody wants growth by acquisition. They want to 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 buy something maybe in a different geography. Uh, let's kind of talk about that. Sure. Um so we have these conversations uh, with buyers or sellers, but uh, with buyers uh, on a regular basis. And some of them are, uh, let's call them professional buyers. That's that's kind of, they've done a ton of deals. They looked at a lot, they, they're sophisticated. Um, they may or may not, the, the owner founder uh, may or may not be the one leading the charge. They may even have, uh, whether it's a CFO or even an outsourced kind of firm that uh, is, is um, managing that uh, on their behalf. Yeah. Uh, but the, the first question is to understand what they're looking for. And uh, then we can provide one of one or, or both uh, options as, as um, solutions for, for the request. So the first one is we publish a list of companies for sale every single week. It comes out on Wednesday. Uh, it's free to subscribe. It comes out through the hostbroker.com. 
and uh, you, if you're on that list, can get notified of uh, new businesses for sale. Um, the second option as an MSP is to tell us what you're looking for. And uh, we call this our wish list, which is you, you tell us what you're looking for. Uh, we will um, note that down. And if and when we have uh, matches to those uh, criteria, uh, we will uh, proactively reach out and notify you that we have an opportunity that might be a fit for you. So a little bit of, uh, of kind of armchair uh, on the behalf of the um, the buyer uh, where you know you don't need to do quite so much work, but uh, I, I think it's always a good idea to monitor the list on uh, as well uh, to yeah. make sure there are other opportunities that might fit. And of course, if you change your criteria, unless you notify us, uh, you're not gonna hear about those uh, opportunities. So th those are kind of the two things and, and we would just uh, talk through uh, expectations typically of, of uh, valuations and, um, and, and processes. And of course, the more sophisticated uh, someone is, probably the fewer questions that they're going to have. Um, but uh, someone who's doing this for the first time, uh, happy to, to chat through, you know, all the different uh, um, nuanced aspects of, of the buyer's journey. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Now, are you seeing on, on your side, and I know there's a ton of activity across the board, do you typically, from your business vantage point, see more, uh, do you work with more buyers or do you work with more sellers or is it kind of 50-50? <laughs> you know, I, this is kind of analogous to to real estate. I think there's always more buyers than there are sellers, and mm -hmm. so finding uh, sellers is is uh, you know uh, a little bit of the holy grail. Like that's always what we're interested in, only because we've got a lot of buyers. So we need to to kind of fuel that um, that funnel, that pipeline of demand. Um, so the, the answer to your question is that we speak with more buyers than we speak with uh, sellers. Um, having said that. Um, I do think the tide is turning a little bit. I don't think it's, it's we're a long way from it flipping uh, 180 degrees, but uh, we are seeing more uh, sellers come to the market for a variety of reasons. Um, COVID was you know, sort of part of it in the beginning, but now we're seeing some other trends. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing that as well. It's interesting, um, you know, you, you kind of brought up that there's sophisticated buyers and they know exactly what they want. They've been involved in multiple transactions already. And to me, what I'm seeing there is more of people that just have like set formulas and they'll talk to lots of people. And if it fits in that formula, then they're going to go with it uh, and do their due diligence, move forward. If it doesn't it fit their cookie cutter approach, they just kind of move on to the next one. Is that is that kind of a fair assessment? It seems like there's a lot of buyers like that. Um, the sophisticated ones, absolutely. They're going to have thresholds for revenue or more likely thresholds for EBITDA uh, below which they're not interested. So there's uh, that element. Uh, and then they're going to cut to the chase, whether it be with respect to geography, um, talent. Does talent come with it? Yes, no, no, we're not interested. Um, okay. Is there, uh, you know, we're only interested in, uh, we've got to focus on healthcare. Um, is there any portion of this business or a significant portion that focuses on healthcare? Yes, no, okay, I'm interested or not. You know, that type of thing. So you're, as you're, you're rightly pointing out, it's, it's kind of cut and dry. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think for, for them, it's easy because it, it allows them to keep moving. Uh, of course, the more specific they are, the harder it is to find those opportunities. Uh, I would say that those who are not as sophisticated, haven't done transactions or haven't done many, tend to uh, be a little bit more um, um, 
you know, the, the, the kind of shiny object uh, syndrome of, of uh, looking at a lot of deals. And, you know, there have been many instances where I've, I know them well enough to know that it's not the right fit for them, but they need to kind of talk through all the details to, to um, you know, appreciate that that might be the case. And, um, uh, but, uh, and I think this, this kind of goes in, into a, another point, which uh, I'm a believer of, which is that if you're building a business, you don't want to build a hodgepodge of, of you know, there needs to be um, some criteria with which you're screening the opportunities. Um, so yeah. that you end up with a more of a, um, a homogenous uh, customer base and business rather than, you know, multi multiple tech stacks and uh, offices all over the place. And it's kind of a, uh, there's no real integration, um, the different, different industries, different size uh, customer base that are being uh, serviced, et cetera. Yeah, Hardlin, you brought up some really important. I just want to highlight this because uh, there's there's lots of flurry of activity, and I, I a lot of my MSP customers, you know, claim that they get one two emails a week about people wanting to buy their business, right? And you could waste a lot of time if you chase after. Uh, you know, spend a lot of time with some of these folks. Now, some of them are legitimate buyers that are serious, and and there's a lot of looky-loos out there too that I think are just sending one email to ten thousand people. Uh, um, but kind of kind of talking about that real quick. Um, are you? What's the timing of of something when somebody would engage? They are a serious buyer, serious seller. What's the timetable look like? Or is it 30, 60, 90 days, six months? What What are you seeing? To, to close. Yeah. Yeah, from yeah, start so, to close. So we, we if, if, if someone is a seller and asking us that question, um, the answer is typically around four to five months from the time that we list an opportunity to the time that it closes. Um, but if, if it's a, a buyer and seller together, they fast forwarded through the process because they're not going through like we're, we've got it on our list and, and there's different groups inquiring and, and then putting together offers and, and uh, you know, asking questions and qualifying uh, calls and things like that. Um, and all of that takes time. But if you've got two groups that have come together uh, and an offer has been made, um, from that point to, to close, assuming it does close, and I'll be honest, a lot of those don't go anywhere, but um, I would suggest that it's something in the sort of 60 to 90 days it would okay. be a typical time frame. Uh, I mean, we, we've seen some that have just dragged on. I've got one that's still in play from November of last year, and, and by both uh, accounts, it's still active. But, you know, th these are not normal and um it's particularly if there's a, a no shop on it, meaning that the seller isn't able to talk to anybody else. Uh, if, if they're motivated to sell, uh, they, they should be making sure that um, that the things are contained. There's momentum, right? And, and as a buyer, it's not fair to kind of have somebody locked down uh, 60 to 90 days. Sometimes if there's uh, a, mm -hmm. a bank involved, especially if it's an SBA uh, loan, uh, these can go on a little bit longer, more like uh at least four months anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the point I was going to make is uh, there, there are a lot of looky-loos out there and it's important to just find the serious buyers that, uh, that it, it's really a win-win 
you know, it's a good fit and you need a professional like the host broker, like Heartland that's been around the block, you know, to help, uh, you know, weed out all the noise uh, because I've seen lots of bad transactions happen. There was a, a horrible one that I had seen from the sidelines uh, that uh, someone I knew had bought a business. They didn't go through a broker. They ended up, you know, buyer, seller. They thought it was a good fit. They ended up buying the um, majority of the money went down on the asset purchase. And then the whole staff quit. They didn't have employee agreements in place. And, uh, you know, a lot of the value of the business is the people, right? And, uh, you know, that's that's kind of something that you should have on your due diligence checklist uh, is employee agreements to make sure that you're protected. So that's that's uh, that's kind of scary. Are you so I'm seeing the same thing around timetables, you know, normally a, a month of conversations and before you get an LOI and then you do your due diligence and close anywhere from 60 days to 90 days. So that's kind of the norm for, you know, one to five million dollar or one to ten million dollar transactions. Are, are you seeing uh, in 2022 specifically, are you seeing multiple offer scenarios or is it normally one offer they go down that path and then they close. If the seller is wanting to um, market themselves, there will be multiple offers. Okay. Um, at the very least, there'll be multiple, many groups looking at it. Um, but in all likelihood, there'll be multiple offers. There are some groups that feel that they aren't interested in having um, um, a lot of conversations with different groups. They're not interested in investing what is uh, really arguably, you know, a lot of time uh, to put into the process. And so they may say, look, if I can find a group that provides me uh, an offer that I think is reasonable and that is a good fit, I don't need to talk to anybody else. I'm quite happy to explore that and see where it goes and to try to close with them. So there are groups that are absolutely like that. Um, but, but as I say, there's also uh, those who, who are looking for more of a competitive uh, kind of uh, process. And if those competitive processes are run, um, there will be multiple offers. And so, it, but, but I think the important thing here is people get oftentimes uh, get hung up on the fact that, well, you know, it needs to be like, I need to be the top offer, the highest offer. And, and candidly, um, I mean, we just did a transaction, uh, I don't know, less than a month ago, and the uh, buyer was not the top offer. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, he was hundreds of thousands of dollars less. It was a, a but a, just, it was over $2 million deal. And um, he was not the top offer, but he still got it. And, and so these things, it comes down to uh, more than just money. It comes down to, to fit, rapport, um, uh, confidence, um, experience in doing transactions and, and yeah. culture. Uh, as you talked about, James, like with respect to employees, because employees don't quit if there's a good culture. If there's not a good culture, employees are more likely to quit. And if they quit, then the customers will end up oftentimes uh, being the victims because they don't get uh, the same level of service that they you know, might have been accustomed to. So th they're all very important aspects. And so money is not the only driver. Yeah. Yeah. You one of the questions I had for you was the emotional process, you know, the the handholding that's required. And I've been through a lot of transactions and I guess more early in my career, it was more of me buying businesses and I didn't really see that that much. But since then, I guess since I've been consulting the last uh, 15 years, 
I've been involved in over two dozen, uh, you know, either acquisitions or mergers. And there's a whole emotional element and, and psychological element that kind of goes along with that. And, uh, you know, you probably have become a, a, an expert with that of handholding people through the emotions of things. And it, and to Hartland's point, I think he's spot on. It's not all about the money. It's about the fit. You know, nobody wants to see their blood, sweat and tears business fall apart and go to shambles and all the employees get let go. If that's what the plan is, uh, they want to see it grow and prosper. Right. So, um, you know, that I, I know that's really important, but get, getting back to my question about the emotions, you know, do you uh, are you seeing that as well? Uh, you know, of kind of walking the business owner through that emotionally? Yeah, I think it's hugely important. And, and there's a, a, a number of different sides to that question, right? So so one major issue is, and I don't think that buyers oftentimes uh, fully appreciate this aspect. And I think it's important that it, they can try to wrap their head around it and put their themselves in the shoes of the seller, which is the seller has built up this business for some period of time. They've got a team of people who they feel some allegiance to, some gratitude for, for supporting them. They want to take care of them. And they are at some point in their life, it could be retirement, it could be earlier than that, but they're now going to sell their business, hand over the keys to all of this, to what they've built and do something differently with their life. Maybe they're gonna be an employee for a, a bit, but that's not going to probably be a long-term thing. And so in their mind, they're thinking, geez, I'm gonna get this big payout. What am I gonna do with that payout? So they're thinking new house, they're thinking new cars, they're thinking holiday, they're thinking um, uh, things for their kids or whatever, um, and you know, paying off debt, whatever that, and a, a life-changing, um, uh, those are all gonna be life-changing events. So yeah. they've got those in their mind um, they've also got the um, perhaps anxiety around what am I going to do next, right? They got to figure out their next move. Nobody wants to just, I, most people don't want to sit on the couch all day long. They, they got to figure out something else that they're going to do with their life, unless they're retiring. And then they presumably got some retirement goals, but um, there's, there's that aspect. Um, so I think that's huge because what happens is, is that they go through that and then, oh, what happens then when they hear from the buyer that, hey, we found some issues and we don't think it's a, a, the right fit for us. And unfortunately, we're going to withdraw from the process. This person is now basically at the altar uh, waiting for the I do. And they've just gotten uh, declined and they now have to mentally unwind all of these things that have going, been going on in their head. So that's a huge piece. Mm -hmm. um, that is, uh, I see, and it's it's very stressful for the seller to, to be going through this emotional roller coaster. Yes, I'm going to sell. No, I'm not going to sell. Yes, I'm going to sell. No, I'm not going to sell. It goes up and down. The other um, piece that I think you were also talking about is the um, the, the emotional piece around. Um, oftentimes, we see it around trust, right? So the they feel yeah. that that the other side is. Um, why are they asking for this information? What do they really want? Are they, do they have alternative interior motives? Um, uh, they read into things that, uh, you know, that the other side says that really aren't there, which starts to erode, uh, you know, the, the trust aspect and, and they, uh, they get frustrated. And so, you know, as you're saying, like my job, a lot of times is to have the conversations and uh, with, with groups, either side and try to bring them kind of back to the table um, mm -hmm. where they can be see things a little bit more rationally and kind of just get through it. Um, and sometimes the ugliest part is towards the end, 
um, where there might be some issue that comes up and they just need to, to kind of one foot in front of the other, head down and, and, and get it done. And, and uh, you know, they'll be fine once they come out the other side, but talking right. about knowledge. Right, yeah, you just have to talk it out, talk it out, make it work. Yeah, that's uh, and that's an important part that uh, I wanted to bring up and, and mention to you. So I, I can't believe how quick the clock is going here. We have a few minutes left and I have uh, just a couple other quick questions. Um, what else are you seeing trend-wise? You know, do you feel like it's more of a buyer's market, seller's market? You know, uh, you know, this year and coming into next year. What are your thoughts on that? Well, no secret that there's all this discussion in, with respect to the economy and uh, you know the R word and whether we're we're in one or will be in one. Uh, and you know, without uh, trying to speculate on that, it it's certainly created. Um, a uh, moment for pause with some groups and uh you mm -hmm. know I, I only heard from one group who basically said uh to to us uh, i guess a month or so ago that they're kind of pushing the pause button just kind of waiting and seeing what happens now uh, we heard a lot of that during uh, the beginning of covid which is you know is the world going to end let's just push pause and, and we're not going to do anything yeah. um most people uh, aren't stopping um, but what they are doing is um, adjusting their valuations um, specifically because uh, for those who are uh, financing deals through debt because uh, interest rates are going up and so for them to have a return on investment that is going to be in line with uh, previous numbers and what's what they consider to be acceptable uh, range um, if uh, interest goes up uh, valuations have to go down and so uh, we're seeing that a little bit, um, offers uh, being a little bit lower. Um, however, offers being lower doesn't necessarily mean that, that a deal is gonna get done at lower than it was before if you were to measure them all, because there are a lot of cash buyers out there still, uh, uh, cash reserves, and uh, those groups uh, still wanna deploy uh, you know, the, these uh, funds. So I think that if things continue, uh, we may see some valuation um, uh, adjustments, uh, you know, corrections, if you like. But I think that yeah. uh, in the short term, um, it will mean that there'll be some more lower offers and the buyers may not be, sorry, excuse me, sellers may not have quite the degree of choice uh, with offers that they had before. But yeah. um, it, it, right now we're not seeing uh, too much there. Um, the, the other one that I think would be important here, just in the interest of time to, to get in, is just to talk about um, the other thing that we've seen more of. And, I, you know, does it make it a trend? Um, I don't know. But our experience has been that we've been talking to more groups that are interested in retiring now um, than used to be the case. It, there were lots of reasons for people to sell. Uh, they had other businesses, um, mm -hmm. they were uh, stressed out, they were burnt out. Um, uh, they had partner feuds, you know, their health issues. There's all of these things, and those things are still there, and they're going to continue to be. But the retirement uh, discussion that has been going on now for years about baby boomers retiring is, I think, starting to rear its head. Uh, and maybe earlier in IT because it's it's a bit of a um, stressful uh, business to be in. And some groups are saying, you know, I, I'd like to either get out or look at the options for getting out. And in some cases, they create themselves a a bit of a soft landing by uh, selling out some or or uh, most of the equity 
um, mm -hmm. and, and then keeping a small bit and then retaining uh, some kind of role in the business for some period of time. And then they can exit more easily knowing that they don't own the business anymore. They've just been an employee of the business they used to own. And, uh, and now they can uh, you know, move into retirement. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Well, well said. Uh, agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, so we're going to run out of time. So one final question I guess I have for you is if people are thinking about selling their business, what things should they be doing right now uh, before they reach out and contact you? Well, you know, one of the, the big ones that you're going to hear, doesn't matter what industry you're in, is to, to look at your uh, your books, right? To clean up your books, clean up your financials, um, taking a look at, um, uh, ideally, you'd have a correlation between um, your uh, revenue line items and services that are offered and your cost of goods sold. So hey, if you're selling hardware and you've got a hardware revenue line item, uh, you've got a cost of goods sold for hardware and you can compare to see what the margin is there. And that you're actually, uh, there is a margin. In some cases we've seen those uh, upside down, right? The, the cost of goods sold for hardware are greater than the revenue. So something's gone uh, awry there. And uh, looking at your financials uh, to make sure that those line up also um, ideally to remove uh, personal expenses uh, and you know um, make those adjustments. We will do that for you and buyers understand that those are going to be in there, but the less of them you have, the better. Uh, and then you know yeah. beyond that, um, contracts, there's so many there's so many other things, but you know another big one that we like to check on is to making sure that uh, sellers have contracts that can be assignable to a buyer, because if they can't be assignable um, or, or they don't have contracts, um, both of which are going to have uh, impacts on valuation. But honestly, James, there's probably far more that I could talk about on that topic than- Yeah, I, I asked you a huge question and, and on purpose, I asked that just to, for a couple of your quick thoughts. I actually, on that specific topic, Hartland, I wrote a white paper of here's the eight things you should be doing today before you think about selling your business. And uh, you you touched on two of them, you know, contracts and clean books for sure. So I think you're you're spot on. Well, um, one of the things you mentioned that I'm sure all the listeners want to sign up for is that weekly email. Do they just go? Can they sign up on that with the hostbroker.com? Is there a subscription link up there? Yeah. So if they go to the website, hostbroker.com and uh, subscribe, it's free to subscribe. I'll just caution you that there is a double opt-in. So check your inbox, hit confirm. And uh, you'll be on the list for the next mailing, which typically comes out on Wednesdays. Um, if you're interested in add, being added to our wish list, uh, meaning you tell us what you're looking for and that we'll also reach out to you proactively, um, please uh, email us uh, info at thehostbroker.com and we can send you a link to uh, complete the details on, on that as well. So, so I, I think you just answered my final question is what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Should they uh, just email you uh, at the info at the hostbroker.com or through the website or call? What's your preferred method? You know, we, we've been in business long enough to realize that everybody has their preferences. So do whatever you feel you'd like to do. I can be reached at Heartland at the hostbroker.com. Heartland is H-A-R-T-L-A-N-D at thehostbroker.com. Uh, you can email info at as well. And one of my team members will uh, receive that. Uh, you can go to the website and subscribe and you're welcome to give us a call. Uh, phone numbers on the, the website as well. We're Pacific time. All right. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so listeners, I encourage you, if you're thinking about buying or selling a business, 
reach out to Heartland and his team. These guys are real pros in the industry. They've been doing it for over 20 years. I've been working on and off with a lot of different brokers around the country, and these guys are the real deal. So Heartland, thank you so much for being on the program today. Uh, I will let you go, and um, uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, James. Uh, Really appreciate it. Take care. All the best. You bet. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.